Welcome to the Family Life Church Podcast. We're so excited that you're joining us today. Our hope today is that this podcast brings life to you and that you leave this message encouraged, equipped, and empowered to live the amazing life God designed for you. And Merry Christmas week. Y'all have forgotten your childhood, haven't you? Left it far, far behind. Well, we're looking forward to Christmas this week at the Tony House. Man, we cannot wait to celebrate. Always look forward to that every year, getting to host our family coming in from all over the place. And we just look forward to a little bit of time toward the end of this week, especially just sort of what I say, pumping the brakes just a little bit and just remembering what this season is all about and enjoying family together. It's good to be with you here today. Let's take a quick second and give a big shout out to the OC, our online campus. Guys. Thanks for tuning in. We wish you a Merry Christmas wherever you are around the world. We're so grateful for you, for you being here every week with us. And if you're listening by podcast later, thanks for tuning in. Grab your Bibles with me. We're going to continue on this uh, subject that we've been in, talking about being wrapped up in Him. We talked last week a little bit about all the things in life that we can be wrapped up in, spend our time and energy, as we often say, our time, talent, and our treasure in so many different ways, and we can get wrapped up in stuff. But as believers, we've made the conscious decision to say, I'm going to choose to be wrapped up in God. I'm going to choose to wrap my life up in Christ and all that he represents for me. You know, I've said it often this way, that as business people, as business owners, as moms, as dads, as coaches, as teachers, just as citizens of the earth, we're believers first. We're not, we're not business people that are Christians. We're Christians that are business people. We're not teachers that are Christians. We're Christians that are, are teachers. Christ defines the core of who we are and comes first in all things. We're not just students. We are Christians that are students. Every one of us, having said yes to God, we've changed who we are by the essence of being wrapped up in Him. You know, I want to talk today a little bit these next two weeks actually about the names of God. You know, names mean something, especially in the Hebrew Bible and in the Hebrew tradition, names really mean a lot. And we spend a fair amount of time in names and depend greatly on them in our world, in our society. We, we call people names, we have names, uh, we have our, our, uh, our own personal names. That somebody calls out your name and we say, hey, Mike, for example, you, you know, who's being talked about most typically. And so we use our names every day. I want to talk a little bit about what they do for us. They conjure emotions. They uh, help to create memories. We'll talk about people that were in our lives in the past and we'll mention their name and we get this feeling like, ah, yeah, I remember so-and-so. I could name so many names this morning of people that have had a major impact on my own life, my own journey. And if I were to talk about them, I would, say, I would say their name. And so we hold them often very deeply in our hearts. And there are a few things I want you to know about names. If you're taking notes, you can write these things down. Number one is that this, names create identity. Names create identity. You know, as I said a second ago, when someone calls you out by name, you know who they're talking about. I mean, there's the occasional situation where somebody will yell out a name, they yell out your name, and they're not talking about you, and you awkwardly turn around and be like, hey! And then you realize they're not talking about you, and you're like, <clears throat> But mostly, we know when our name is called, we know uh, who's being called, especially when you're growing up and your mom calls all your names. Not just your first name, or not just the shortened version of your first name. It's you know, it's, it's Tom when it's time for dinner. Tom, come and get dinner. And it's Thomas when I've done something that's not quite right. Thomas? And then when I'm really in trouble, it's Thomas Grant. Thomas Grant, right? You know, our names, are, they matter. They, they're important to us. They create identity. You know, when a, when a couple gets married, the woman will typically take on the last name of the man. She literally changes her identity to match the name of the man that she's married to. And she'll spend the rest of her life with a new last name taking on that identity. If something goes wrong in the marriage and the marriage uh, falls apart, often 
that woman will give that name back and she'll take her own name back because she doesn't want to be associated with everything that that name might mean. Names matter. When people are successful in life, when they've reached a certain level of success and notoriety, we'll say, ooh, they've really made a name for themselves. What does that mean? Well, we begin to associate their name with the very thing that they do. And, you know, in fact, sometimes those names can take on an identity of their own. Think about people that we know that have made a name for themselves, like Tiger or Oprah or Shakespeare or Picasso or Google. Didn't expect that one, did you? But that's a name. That's the name of a company that has come to mean so much more than just the name of a company. Did you know that Google fights lawsuits all the time because people use their name as a verb? In fact, they are embroiled not too long ago in a controversy in another country who was using the phrase ungoogleable, meaning it can't be found with a search engine. And Google was saying, no, that's a misuse of our name because if you use Google, you can find it. And so it's this big, long deal that they are in legally because their name was being used in the wrong way. Coke is another example of that. People use Coke as a generic word for soft drinks, but it has a very specific meaning. Now, here are a few you might not have been aware of. It's just a little bit of fun fact. You can have some fun over lunch with friends that weren't here today. And you can share this with them. These are names, actual names, that have become synonymous with just generalizations in our world. Did you know the name Zipper? The word Zipper is actually a trade name. It's a copyrighted name. Zipper, it's come now to represent anything that zips. Hey, it's a zipper. But it might not be a zipper zipper, even though it's a zipper because it's called it zipper, but zipper started out as a trademark name. Windbreaker, trademark name. Probably didn't know that, right? You didn't know that every time you say it, they're getting paid for you saying it. You, didn't, you probably didn't know that. I'm kidding. They're not getting paid for you saying it. All you're like, how can I trademark a name that gets paid for everybody? No, Windbreaker is another Jet ski. Do you know that? Jet ski is a brand name. It's not just the generic name of a little thing that floats on water like a motorcycle that you can get on and ride. Here's an interesting one, tabloid. Tabloid was actually trademarked in the early 1900s as a compressed medicine pill. It was a tab that was compressed down into what we would see today in the, in the modern medicine, but come to be known as a small publication or a tabloid. So now when you say tabloid, you're actually saying medicine. How many of you knew that the word crockpot is actually a trademark name? It's not just a generic word for everything you throw meat and potatoes into when you don't have time to cook. No, crockpot is a trademark name. Band-Aid, you probably knew that one. Band-Aid is a trademark product. It's the name of the company. But we use it generically for anything that covers up a wound. Ooh, I need a Band-Aid. And then we'll go buy one that's not a Band-Aid. Here's one I know you didn't know. I find this pretty interesting. Dumpster. The word dumpster is a trademark name. It is the uh, combining of the last name of the gentleman who created it, Dempster, and the word dump. And it became the dumpster. Another generic word that we just use. Did you know this one? Popsicle. Popsicle, yeah, Max knew that. It's because we actually have stock in Popsicle. No, Popsicle was started in the early 1900s uh, by a young man who at 12 year, 11 or 12 years old uh, left out a, a treat that he had stirred up, a sugary a drink that he had stirred up in the cold and it froze. The next day he ate it, licked it clear down to the stick and as an 11 year old began selling them in his neighborhood and started a business that was known as the Episicle because his last name was Epison, was known as the Episicle but his kids talked him into changing it because they called him Pops. And they kept saying, hey, I want a Pops Sickle. And so it's now called Pops Sickle. It's actually a man's nickname that became the trademark of the actual thing that you and I know generically as a 
popsicle. So when you're asking for a popsicle or a Band-Aid or a Crock-Pot or a tabloid or a jet ski or a windbreaker, you're asking for a very specific product, not just a generic representation of that product. Names. Names matter to us. There's one uh, you might have heard if you've ever watched the news you might have heard someone refer to the idea that that's a very Orwellian concept. So Orwellian society. Well, this was coined after the name of the man who wrote the book, 1984, George Orwell, in which in that book, he described a society in which was under great oppression, that corporations had run amok and there was great depression and oppression in that society. It was kind of sort of like a futuristic society. It's called a dystopian society technically. And so now that word Orwellian is used to describe those situations. A name. Names matter. Names create identity. Names also convey quality or value. Here's an example of a name that that conveys quality, and that is Rolex. If you've ever heard of the watch Rolex, it's the creme de la creme of watches. You're probably not going to pay less than about $12,000 for a Rolex watch. Compare that to a Casio. (laughs) Somebody who knows watches is laughing right now. A Casio, you pay about $12.95 with a period between the $12 and $95 for a Casio watch. Just a difference in quality. Another example of this is Rolls-Royce. If you know what a Rolls-Royce is, it's a very high-end, expensive automobile. In fact, The name Rolls and Royce are the last name of the two co-founders, Rolls and Royce, Rolls Royce. And interestingly, we'll actually use Rolls Royce as a generic term for anything that's best of class. No, for example, we might say that a certain product is, it's like, it's like the Rolls Royce of cordless drills. What does that mean? You're going to pay $150,000 for it? No, it means you're going to pay top dollar because it's the best of the best. It's the Rolls Royce of the hairdryer, whatever you want to call it. But we use that word Rolls Royce as a means of conveying quality or value. Here's another name, Walmart. It's the other end of the spectrum. Now, I'm not saying that stuff at Walmart is of low quality or low value. What I'm saying is that it conveys value. And that we often think of things like Walmart or places we can shop like that as being a place where we can get something for a good value. So names convey value and they convey quality. Names also uh, represent authority. Authority. You often think of people in places of authority and will associate their name with them. Here in the U.S., We will do this with our presidents, right? Here's a person in place of authority. We simply take their last name and we know them then as Lincoln or Reagan or Clinton or Obama or Trump. And we just know them by their last names and they'll go on forever now known by their last names. It's been a while since Lincoln was around, but we still know him by his last name, name only Lincoln. And it conveys and represents authority. And not only so, but we get in these situations with names and they can also conjure up a lot of emotions. Things that we've experienced, things that we've been through, things that we believe, perspectives that we have. And we hear the name and it causes that to sort of rise up in us. This is also true of sports. Think about the name Stallback. Come on, any Cowboys fans in the room? Come on, help me out here. All right, thank you, man, I appreciate that. Yes, Roger Stallback, arguably the greatest quarterback to ever live in the history of sports. We'll talk about it later. But already I can tell some of you the hair on the back of your neck is standing up right now because you're not a Stallback fan. But that name, that name represents authority or Babe Ruth or Earnhardt or whoever it might be that you uh, glorify and worship and follow. They represent authority. Tom Tony, yeah, I don't know about that. Thank you, though. Appreciate that. We'll, we'll get that onto the ballot. If you run as my running mate, we'll do it. Let's go, Mike, me and you, together. Let's change the world. Let's do this. Yeah, so names represent authority. When you hear it, you know, oh, well, they're the authority in that, in that area. Names also create 
expectations. And I think one of the greatest examples of that is actually found in Genesis chapter 17, where we hear the story of Abraham. Let me read it to you, starting in verse 1. It says this, When Abram, notice his name, Abram, was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, That's 99, 99, he's 99. Don't lose sight, he's 99. This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Now, in verse 4, we see him saying, I will make you the father of a multitude of nations, which is not what Abram's name means. The word, the name Abram, simply means exalted father. Abram, exalted father. And God says, I'll make you the father of many, many nations. Verse 5, what's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among you. Interesting, just the insertion of the in Abram's name. Abraham becomes Abraham, meaning going from just exalted father to father of many nations, father of multitudes. And in this, God expresses to us that names matter. Names matter. In fact, in the Hebrew tradition, names were not just names, they expressed the character of an individual. When you were named something, it's because it had something to do with who you were, almost like a nickname. Somebody calling you Slick. Hey, Slick, what does that mean? Well, somewhere along the way, you did something that impressed somebody, and they said, oh, that was Slick, and it stuck. In the same way, Hebrew names always had a, a connection to the character, and it, what it did for Abraham, interestingly, that Abram spends 99 years, 99 years barren, no children. 99, somebody say 99. He spends 99 years with no children, known as Abram. God changes his name to Abraham, the father of many nations, and in three months, they're pregnant. Names matter. What you call yourself, what I call myself, what God calls us, how we recognize him matters, church. How we hold him in high regard, how we place him in authority, how we recognize his value, how we allow it to build within us expectations. Names matter. Names are identity, their value, their authority, their expectations are all wrapped up in a name. And there is one name that defines and demands all of these things. It defines identity, value, authority, and expectations and demands identity, value, authority, and expectations, and that is the name of God. So often in our culture, the idea of God is just this loose ideology about someone greater than us. We refer to him as the big man upstairs. And we loosely have this idea of who God might be and how we honor him. And we use the name God and the word God in so many different ways. But did you know that in some respects, many of the names that I've mentioned draw even greater energy and connection than the name of God? Imagine if, if people knew as much about God as they know about Musk or Styles or Bieber, or The Rock? What if we knew as much about God as all these other names? Which one did you get more excited about today? If I walked up to you and said, hey, I want to go buy you a new Lexus. Or if I said, hey, let's get together and worship God for a moment. Which would excite you more? Which name would conjure greater thrill from us. But the more time that we spend getting to know God, here's what I know, the more you identify with him. The more value, you begin to value what he values. You recognize his authority and it shifts your expectations. 
the more that we get to know God. Why? Because he is God. And I want to pause for a moment because the Bible teaches us that wherever two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is. If you are here today in his name, if you are here today because his name for you is authority, his name for you is value, his name has created expectations for you. If you're here today for that reason, I'm here today for that reason, there's two of us. Probably more than two of us, there's three of us, I would say. In fact, how many of you would say today, I'm here because of the name of God? Look around. We've got two or three in the room. What does that mean, church? He's here. He's here. Let's pause for a moment. Let's recognize God is here. Father, we recognize you. We honor you. We worship you. We value your presence, Lord. We recognize your authority. God, we find our identity in you. There is no other God but you. You alone are God. All-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, creator God. And we just pause to honor and recognize you. Thank you for being here with us for never leaving us, never forsaking us, never abandoning us. You're good, God. He is God. Is he your God? Is he your family's God? You know, we believe that in America, he's our nation's God. And church, I have to tell you, that's something worth fighting for. It's something worth remembering. It's something worth standing up for. Say no, as a nation, as a, as a person, as a family, as a community, as a church, as a nation, we belong to God. He is God. We don't define him. We can't describe him. He's God. We can only worship him. Live for him, follow him, desire him, love him. He's God. So let's learn a little bit more about God's name today for just a few minutes here together. Turn to Psalm 34 and 3, and I'll go through this quickly. I'll give you the verse, the chapter and verse, and you can look them up later on your own. They'll be on the screen behind me. If you're fast enough to keep up in your app or in your Bible, go for it. Psalm 34 and 3 says this, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. What does the word magnify mean? It means to make bigger, to make larger. Larger than what? Everything. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt. Exalt means to raise up, to put on a high place. Let's magnify and raise up what? His name together. His name. As I said a second ago, in Hebrew, names represented character. So when we say name in Psalm 34 and 3, we're not just exalting and magnifying his name, we're exalting and magnifying his character. His character. The character of God. What is the character of God? Well, if I know you and I say your name, I don't know just you, I know your character. And when I talk about certain people and I use their name, I'm not just excited to know them because their name is cool. I'm excited to know them because their character is great. I love certain people because I love their character, who they are, what they stand for, what they believe, how they live their lives, how they make their choices and decisions. They become somebody to be envied and followed and imitated. And that name becomes associated with that character. When I say that name, it conjures in me these feelings of love and respect and honor of that person. Why? Not because of their name, but because of the name represents 
character. When we say, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name, we're saying his character. Do we exalt the character of God in our lives? Do we recognize, oh, God is good? Oh, he's patient. He's loving. He's faithful. He's giving. He's generous. He's wise. Exalting the name of God. You have to be watchful that in certain situations, we don't demean the name of God. Well, you just never know with God. Sometimes he will, sometimes he won't. That sounds unfaithful to me. Somebody who sometimes does and sometimes doesn't is an unfaithful person. And the Bible says, trust in an unfaithful man is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. God is not a broken tooth nor a foot out of joint. He is God. And he's not only God, but he is faithful. Faithful. Come on, somebody say faithful. He is faithful. The Bible says that he's also just And those two things together is what creates salvation for me and you. The Bible says he's faithful and just. When we repent, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Anybody glad today that your sins have been forgiven? That's only because God's character is faithful and just. No other reason that we're saved today except the character of God. Let's exalt it together. The character of God, Proverbs 18.10 says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. What's a strong tower? The name of the Lord, but what else? The character of the Lord is a strong. He is protector. He is provider. He is our rear guard. He goes to battle with us. Why? Because his character is strong and we can run to him. The last thing we want to do in crisis is run from God. The last thing we want to do in good times is forget God. Why? Because he's our strong tower. His character is strong. Acts 2.21 says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the what? The name, meaning we do what? We don't just, we don't just call out God or, or Father. We call out on his character. His character. When you call out on the character of God, you will be, what's the character of God? The Bible says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God is love and he's generous and it's the character of love and generosity that saves mankind. When you're calling out to God, you're calling out on love. You're calling out on generosity. You're calling out on grace. Why? Because that's his character. It's who he is. And we call out to him and the Bible says that we will be saved. Hebrews 6.13 says that God promised to Abraham. We just read the promise to Abraham. And this promise to Abraham, watch what happens here. Since there was no one greater to swear by, what did God say? You know, we'll say it often. Well, I, I swear on so-and-so's name, or I, I swear on a stack of Bibles. When God made this covenant with Abraham, he looked around and be like, where's something I can swear on? How can I build a covenant? And he didn't find anything great enough. So you know what he did? He said, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna swear on my name. And what was he saying when he said that? Not just his name, but his character. He said, I will back my word up. The Bible says that God's word will not return to him without accomplishing the thing he sent it to do. It will not return to him void. His word is his name and his character. When God says it, you can count on it. If you see a promise in the Bible, God's name backs it up. And God says, I will stand behind it, guaranteed 100%. You can have the promises that I've given you. The Bible teaches us that all of God's promises are yes in Christ and yes through our agreement with Christ. Yes in him and yes through us. And God backs it up. And with Abraham, he said, here's how I'm going to back it up. I'll take an oath on my own name, my own character. Matthew 6, 9. Jesus taught us to pray this way. In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, 
Hallowed be your name. This word hallowed means holy, to be revered, to be reverenced. Church, come on. Can we come up in our reverence and reference of God's name? Can we come up in how we respect and honor who God, can we come up? Is there room for us to get better and better and stronger in our reverence of who God is and how we hallow his name? How we consider it holy above all other things, no match for it in all of the universe. Can we come to the place where, like Jesus said, that when we pray, we're not just reciting a prayer by rote, but we're recognizing, what are we saying here? Our Father, our Creator, Abba, Dad, Provider, Caretaker, Protector in heaven. Hallowed, holy, to be revered and honored, respected is your name, but not just your name, but your character your character. God, I refuse to demean your character, we might say. I hallow your character. Holy in regard, I hold your name. Lord, I will not allow anything or anyone that tries to pull me off of this to to ever cause me to not respect who you are and your character. I'll never talk down about you, God. Come on, church, help me out. As believers, as Christians, we have some growing up to do in this area. We have some recognizing to do in this area where we can hold God in greater respect and honor in his name. Now, it's a Jewish custom to not even spell the name G-O-D, God, but to put a dash where the O is, just G-D. And some of that is connected to the idea that God's name in its original spelling is not even pronounceable. It's writable, but not really even pronounceable. We see in the word of God, we'll see the letters Y-H-W-H, which are the Hebrew uh, letters yod heh wah heh And those letters together, without the, cons- without the vowels, are difficult to pronounce. But it represents who God is. And what it, what it means is He exists. He exists. I'm going to show you a connection to this in just a second as we wrap up. Now, through the centuries, what has happened is different uh, cultures have taken that spelling and added things to it that aren't there. So for example, in the Latin, there is no letter for J. So in the Latin, uh, the, the letter, or there's no letter for Y. And so in the Latin, they use J. J-H, V-H, and that would become then later on Jehovah down the line. So we now say Jehovah, which is the same as the Y-H-W-H, which is a reference to God himself. We might even say, and sometimes today we'll say, Y-H-W-H is Yahweh. There are many different things that it could be, but suffice it to say, it means he exists. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In Genesis 1 and 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now remember this reflection on Yahweh or Jehovah which is not just a reflection of his name, but of his character. His character is that he exists. What does that mean? I'm never anywhere without, I'm without God. His character is that he's here. That's his character, is, is God exists. Did you know that one of the, the greatest developmental needs in the lives of every human being is the presence of a father? The presence of a father. And I don't mean present as just in the room. I'm talking about a father who is present, whose children know he exists. They recognize his identity. They know his authority. They respect his value. And it's one of the greatest needs that we have as human beings is the presence of a father. Fathers, I want to encourage you. This is a huge thing for us in the home is that we learn how to be present. We learn how to exist for our family. We learn how to be there when they need us in a way that they need us, present as protector, provider, encourager, trainer. All the things that God represents to us, we represent then to our families. And the Bible says that God's character is that he exists. What that shows us is he's always here. God never leaves you. Even when you can't feel it in your emotions, when you do not have goosebumps, or maybe you're not crying, or you might say, I just don't feel the presence of God, that does not mean he's not there. Why? Because his character is, he exists. 
And in the beginning, Genesis 101, the Bible says, in the beginning, God, this word God here is the word Elohim. Elohim. Now we've sung this in a song recently. You might've heard us uh, singing it and you might've wondered, what does that word mean? Elohim. Well, here's what it means. The word Elohim means he brings into existence whatever exists. Elohim. It is a word for gods. It's a plural word, gods. In the beginning, gods created the heaven and the earth. And even though it's, it's a plural word, gods, here in Genesis 1 and 1, because of how it's connected to the verbs inside of Genesis and the original Hebrew, it's actually uh, singular, meaning God. But within it is the idea of gods or plural. And what we learn from Genesis 1 and 1 is that in the beginning, God already existed, meaning that he exists outside of time and creation. It's, we can't create something that's already created. We can only create something that doesn't exist. And so God existed prior to time and creation because otherwise he could not create all that was. In the beginning, God created, and he's the creator of all things. And not only was he outside time and creation, but he made them from nothing, which speaks directly to his name, Elohim, the one who exists. He is the one God who creates something from nothing. And that's what we see here in Genesis 101 is God creating something from nothing, which by the way, is an ability unique to God. You and I can't do that. No other created being can create something from nothing, no elements. God alone can create something from nothing. He is Elohim, the one that exists. God, three in one. This plurality speaks to the Trinity, of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit operating together in a singular fashion to create all that is, to create you and to create me. And we are the creator, created, not the creator, but we as the created, we worship the creator who is Elohim. He is God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse three, it says this, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which were seen or are seen were not made of things which are visible. Who did this? Elohim did this. Romans chapter four and verse 17 says, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who does this? Elohim. When your pipes are clogged or broken, who do you call? You call a plumber. When your car is broken down, who do you call? You call a mechanic. When your furnace or your finances are out of, out of sorts and your furnace isn't working, who do you call? You call an HVAC technician. When your finances are out of order, who do you call? You call an accountant. When you need something that does not exist to be brought into existence, who do you call? Elohim. You call on God. His character is to create something from nothing. When you get the diagnosis and they say incurable, who do you call on? You call on Elohim, the one who can create from nothing. Come on, church, help me out today. He is God, and there is no other God like him. He is Elohim, and we call him that as a reminder of his character and his nature and his value and his authority. And we see ourselves as the creation. As I said a second ago, the word Elohim is actually a plural word, which pulls into it then God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in fact, when you begin to break down the word, the sounds that are in the word Elohim, it's pretty interesting because it actually translates to something roughly like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, creating something from nothing, doing a mighty deed, separating the waters from the waters. Literally, when you look at the characters of that name, that's roughly the translation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit doing a mighty deed separating the waters from the waters. It's exactly what we see in creation. But in this, in, in Genesis 101, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and God said, let's look at this in Genesis or in John chapter one, verse three, God said in Genesis, which would be words in John 1, 1, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was 
God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, through who? The word. And without him, without what? The word. Nothing was made that was made. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of as the one only begotten of the Father. What are we seeing here? We're seeing Elohim from the beginning, the three in one, now expressed in the word in John 1, 1, having become flesh, that is Christ who is born. We celebrate this week, this coming December 25th, we'll celebrate his birth. We are celebrating the arrival of the word. Come on, church. We're celebrating the arrival of the word. Now, the word for Christ, one of the names of Christ, is the name Emmanuel. Elohim, three in one, speaking things into existence that previously did not exist. The word that's spoken by Elohim becomes the risen Christ, becomes Christ, the son brought into the world as the word whom we know as Emmanuel, which means God with us. How is God with us? God is with you and with me through the word. Isaiah chapter seven and verse 14 Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Now follow me on this journey. Luke chapter one, verse 26. Coming up on the Christmas story in Luke. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will receive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom of his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord, and watch what she says here, let it be to me according to your word. The word made flesh. How was Christ? present with Mary through the word how is God present with you believer he's present first of all by his character his character is that he exists his character is that he never leaves us his character is that he's always there for us his character is that we're never alone never far from God and he's with us present how by word let me show you what David says about this God is with us through his word. In Genesis 1-1, God said, let there be light, and there was light. This is the word amar. In Psalm 119 and 105, David says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to my path. What is the word light in Genesis 1-3? What is the word said? It is amar. It's the spoken word. It's the revelation of who God is. And David says, I've hidden the character and nature of your revealed self in my heart so that I will not sin against you. I'm not just reciting scriptures. I'm getting to know the word, Jesus. I'm getting to know his nature. I'm getting to know his character. And I'm hiding that character in my own heart so I operate from the same character. And when I operate from the same character, I will not sin. It's not just knowing the scripture that keeps me from sin. It is becoming the word. In the same way that the word was made flesh through Mary and came to live among us as Jesus, we're going to celebrate this week, the word gets in us and becomes who we are and we become engrafted with God's character and nature and it keeps us from the thing that would separate us from him. Why? Because we're inseparable. We cannot be separated. The word, the word has lived now with us. David said, it's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Emmanuel, God with us, Elohim with us. 
the ability to create something from nothing with us, the provider with us, the wise one with us. How? By word, in our word, in our hearts, in our, our pursuit of his character and his nature, becoming like him, more and more the expression of Christ in this earth. Why? Because he's come to dwell on the inside of us through salvation. Why? Because we called on the name of God. We called on the character of God and he looked past our inadequacies and our sins and he saved our souls. And only he can do that. Only God alone. So as I close, let me read this to you this way. Psalm 34 and 3. We're going to replace the word name with his character and his nature. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his ability to create something from nothing by the power of his word together. Proverbs 18.10, his ability to create something from nothing by the power of his word is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Acts 2.21, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on his ability to create something from nothing by the power of his word shall be saved. Hebrews 6.13, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own ability to create something from nothing by the power of his word. What is it you need today? What is it you seek today? What is it that's missing in your life today? Elohim is on the scene to bring into existence the very thing that you need. Call upon his name and you will be saved. Do not live into the moment. Don't go into the second. Don't go into the day. Don't go into the season without the breath of Elohim in your lungs and speaking the grace and the goodness of God over your children, over your life, over your body, over your mind. Tell depression to go. Tell sickness to leave. It cannot exist where Elohim exists. Become one with Elohim. The God, the creator of all that is. The one who exists and creates everything that exists. Guys, that's who we are serving. He is God. And there is no other God. He alone is God. No matter what we might become wrapped up in, it does not change who God is. It does not change or diminish His power. It does not change or diminish His authority. He is God. His character is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe today that our God, our loving Father, would say to us, what is it that you need from me? What is it that you seek? I am the fulfillment of your dreams. I am the fulfillment of your future. I am the fulfillment of your life. Elohim, God with us. So in this manner, pray you, our Father in heaven, hallowed holy, to be revered and honored is your ability to create something from nothing by the power of your word. Father, I thank you today. I hardly even know what to say, God, except that I'm sorry for ever diminishing you forever trying to put you in a place in my life where I could control you. Where I could define you to fit into my reality, Father, but rather see today your servant. As I make myself available to you, you are God, I'm not. You are God, money's not. You are God. My dreams are not my God. You are. And we honor you. I honor you. Jesus, word, I pray for greater revelation. I pray that you reveal yourself more and more to myself, to my friends here today, every one of us that would seek wholeheartedly after you. Show us who you are. Reveal your character to us. And we will exalt your name together. You know, as David said, let us exalt his name together. I think of uh, as one, 
One person put it one time, and I thought it was so cool. He said, have you ever seen an athlete who does something great on the field? They make a great play. Maybe you have, in football, you have a defensive back that sacks the quarterback for a loss, changes the, changes the game completely. So they get up from sacking the quarterback, and what do they do? They stand up, and what do they do to the crowd? What are they saying to the crowd? They're saying, look at what I just did. Look at what I just did. Come on, join me in celebrating my accomplishment. Come on, everybody together. Let's magnify what I just did. That's what they're saying. And what's the crowd do? Do they keep texting on their phone? No, what, what do the fans of that player do? What do they do? Come on, show me. What do they do? What do they do? You've never been to a football game, have you? Not even high school. You, not, not even high school is a reaction like that. Come on, what do they do, church? What do they do? So, so half of you are fans. Half of you must be for the other team, the guy that got sacked. I don't know. It's... David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Look what he has done. Woo! Come on. Look what God has done. Look what he has done. He has saved us. He has healed us. He's brought us out. He brought us out of darkness into light. He changed me forever. Come on. Look what the Lord has done. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Come on. Magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name forever. Come on. Come on. I want to go to the next game with you guys. We're going to have some fun together. I want to encourage you this week to just sort of maybe freak your family out. <laughs> Christmas morning, I dare you to get in front of the tree and just before you open gifts to say to your family, okay, we're going to do something real quick. I learned this last Sunday in church. So we're going to just take a minute to recognize what today is all about before we get into the gifts, which are great and cool. We're just going to remember what God has done. So, and just do this and be like, come on, somebody, come on. Let's exalt God together. Church, will you join me in valuing God? Will you join me in reverencing him, worshiping him, letting him know we get it. We know who you are and we love you. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. Our hope is that you are encouraged, equipped, and empowered to live out the amazing life that God has designed for you. We pray that this message was fresh air to you. If you made a decision to ask Jesus to become the leader of your life, we'd love for you to let us know. Please text the word YES to 740-387-7778. If you'd like to reach out to Family Life Church, please visit our website at yourfamilylife.org. Thank you so much for joining us. Have an amazing day.